Good morning. How's everybody today? Awesome. Awesome. So uh, we're in Daniel this morning. I got a new shirt. Learn if you like it. Have you guys ever heard the saying? Pride comes before the fall. Have you guys ever seen, I mean, is this, this is like kind of like a, a funny little uh, thought here. Have you ever seen that to be the case? Pride comes before the fall. Hey, let's watch this together. Have you ever seen any of these? Take my word for it. There's a moral to this story. Uh, yeah, maybe next time, wait that extra second before celebrating. A college track star learned the dangers of premature celebration. A runner from the University of Oregon thought he had the race locked up, started waving, pumping up the crowd, and he was passed by a runner from the University of Washington in the final seconds, not just the final seconds, the difference with a tenth of a second. The University of Washington wins. Yeah, just a bit of a disappointment there. A bit of disappointment there. You know, fail videos are pretty funny. They crack me up. But, you know, I don't as much enjoy the ones where it's just a pure accident, like the poor guy who dumped over his uh, kid's playhouse <laughs> under the ground. That was just a pure accident. I mean, I'm laughing now. But, um, you know, but it's the, the ones where, like, they've kind of set themselves up for it. You know what I mean? They're like, look at me. Look how fast I am. Look how I beat everybody. And then they totally get humiliated, like right there. I think those are kind of funny. <laughs> so, you know, I, you just don't feel as bad, you know, when the, the show-off uh, gets humiliated, you know. And so there's a verse that says pride. Uh, the, the, that saying is actually in the Bible. It's a proverb, Proverbs 16, and it says pride goes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. And so today we have a character in Daniel who we're going to see had a lot of pride. And, uh, you know, but there's messages that we're fed every day about pride. And pride is something that has become kind of a chief value in our society. And if you, uh, I don't know, turn on the TV, you're going to see a message that is encouraging you to be full of pride. And, uh, you know, and people wear shirts like this, and they want you to, you know, they, they think that you know something about them. Uh, they want you to know something about them. We think we know something about them. And we just have to be careful about pride. And uh, because, as you'll see from our story today, that God has a lot to say about pride and about the proud. 
In fact, he tells us in Colossians, it says we're supposed to be wearing something different. What we're supposed to be wearing is different. In fact, it says clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, and humility. All right. So I'm going to wear my humility shirt this morning as we take a look at this story because I think it might be the case that in all reality, Nebuchadnezzar has a lot more humility than me. And we'll come back around to that. But let's jump into Daniel chapter 4. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live in all the earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are his miracles and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I had a dream and it frightened me. While in my bed, the images and visions in my mind alarmed me. So I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon to me in order that they might make the dream's interpretation known to me. Well, when the diviner priests, mediums, Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Finally, Daniel, named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him, came before me, I told him the dream. Belteshar, head of the diviners, because you know that you have a spirit of the holy God, or because I know that you have a spirit of the holy gods, and that no mystery puzzles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw and its interpretation. In the visions of my mind, as I was lying in bed, I saw this. You guys following me? There was a tree in the middle of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and strong, and its top reached to the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the air lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. As I was lying in my bed, I also saw in the visions of my mind an observer, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called out loudly, cut down the tree and chop off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground. And with a band of iron and bronze around it, in the tender grass of the field, let him be drenched with dew from the sky. Let him, it changed, let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. 
and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. This word is by decree of the observers. The matter is a command from the holy ones. This is so the living will know that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men. He gives it to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of men over it. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because none of the wise men of my kingdom can make the interpretation known to me. But you can because you have the spirit of the holy gods. How would you like to be one of those wise men right now? Uh, boy, I, I, can't, I can't figure that one out, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not sure what that means for, about you. <laughs> no, but apparently they couldn't figure it out. But Daniel, Daniel, I know that you can figure it out, Belteshazzar, because none of the wise men of my kingdom can make it known, but you can because you have the spirit of the holy gods. And so Daniel does. He interprets the dream. Let's keep reading just a little bit longer. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was stunned for a moment. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king said, Belteshazzar, don't let this dream or its interpretation alarm you. It had alarmed the king. Don't you be alarmed, Daniel. So Belteshazzar answered, My lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you. And it's interpretation to your enemies. Kind of soften them up a little bit for the doozy that's to follow. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the wild animals lived, and in its branches the birds of the air lived. That tree is you, the king. For you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw an observer, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it, in the tender grass of the field, let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation. Your majesty, and this is the sentence of the Most High that has been passed against my Lord the King, you will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle, and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men and he gives it to anyone he wants. As for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right, and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity 
So we have this section. I'm going to stop here just for a minute because that's a lot of verses, right? I mean, some of you guys already fell asleep. Wake up, wake up. No, but it's a really exciting story about Nebuchadnezzar, and it's told, who's telling the story, by the way? Okay, God, it's in his word. And who has written this chapter? Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar? This is interesting. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, I, this is a first person story by Nebuchadnezzar about what has happened. And he says, it's my privilege to tell you what God has done. We're going to come back to that. And this dream, it's so amazing, this, tr- this dream of this gigantic tree. The tree sounds amazing. I'd love to see a tree like that. I mean, it's obviously hyperbole. It's obviously, you know, kind of like your dreams. I mean, what's the last dream you had? Maybe not reflect reality completely, right? And so this, this tree reaches to the sky, and its branches are so big, and every single bird perches in it, and all the animals are fed from it. But it's this idea of, just, of, of a lush, flourishing tree. Nobody could deny it that this tree had significance and grandeur. It was a healthy tree. It was a useful tree and effective productive tree. So that's a really cool analogy uh, right there. But we find out that the tree is a symbol of of the king and the king's kingdom. And it's true that Babylon had been become great. And Babylon has become all the nations knew about Babylon. All the other people around depended on the, the strength and the, the, the protection of, of this regime. But Daniel stops and he gives some advice right here, right here in this moment. I just want to look at this. And he says a couple things. He says, separate yourself. Here's my advice. Maybe this will sound good to you, King. How about you separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right? And from your injustices, by showing mercy to the needy, perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. You may yet have hope of restoration of these blessings, or maybe, these, maybe this judgment against you won't even have to come that God has given you. Maybe, maybe there's a chance here. So Daniel gives the king some advice. Let's see, was Daniel a smart man? Okay. Was Daniel smarter than the average smart man? Okay. Was Daniel wise? Was Daniel wiser than the average wise man? All right. Would a wise person heed Daniel's advice? All right. Would a smart person pay attention to what Daniel has to say? He tells Nebuchadnezzar, separate yourself from the sins that you are doing and do the right thing. Separate yourself from injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Does this advice sound like good advice? Does this sound like advice that you should follow? I just want to suggest maybe this is the advice that you need this morning. Straight from the wise man's lips, quit sinning, number one. And number two, take care of other people's needs. Quit sinning. Quit it. 
and take care of other people's needs. Other people's needs. Because what comes from your human nature, your basis of instincts, is not to take care of other people's needs, and it is not to choose to do the right thing when you have another idea, when you want something else. Do you know what I mean? But you're never going to quit sinning if you redefine your sin, if you excuse your sin, if you keep your sin hidden, if you make it part of your identity, if you just choose to wallow in shame and depression. All of those things are rooted in pride. Number two, you're never going to take care of others' needs. If you're constantly choosing to act on your me first impulses, me first becomes me primarily, which becomes me pretty much only. You know, it hit me this way. When am I going to quit being a sponge? When am I going to quit being a sponge and soaking up all the goodness that's around me instead of start giving it out to others? How easily it is to become a sponge to society, to become a sponge in the relationship, to become a sponge in the friendship, to become a sponge in the small group, to become a sponge at the dinner table where you start looking at finances. So there's me. I call it being a sponge. Daniel was much wiser and smarter and eloquent and uh, the vision that, he, that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, <laughs> but like the, the idea of like, I'm just, I got to quit just like taking in everything. And when am I going to start thinking about what does somebody else need? That's, was, that's a, a challenge that I feel like we keep needing to remind ourselves. And we need to be reminded of this advice from Daniel. So... Let's continue, all right, in our story of Daniel, and we're at verse 28. Are you ready? All of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built by my vast power to be a royal residence and to display my majestic glory. I don't know why Nebuchadnezzar, he seems a little, uh, I guess you would say, like today, like bipolar. It's kind of like, you know what I mean? Over the last several chapters, you know, like he's been at this place before, full of pride, building statues, requiring people to bow down. Uh, like this, this keeps surfacing in his life. It's almost like God has had enough. While the words were still in his mouth, a voice came from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. 
You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals, and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men. And he gives it to anyone he wants. At that moment, the sentence against Nebuchadnezzar was executed. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. I was going to try to act this out for you. Jump around the stage and wear a mask. But you're just going to have to imagine it. I mean, can you imagine? But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. And then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. And here's what he says. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? That's Nebuchadnezzar's praise. In fact, this whole chapter seems to be Nebuchadnezzar's what, what happened like after, after these years, right? After these years, because it says, at that time, my sanity returned to me after that time, and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. So his sanity, after seven years of being a wild beast out in the fields, eating like cattle and living out under the rain. He humbles himself. He looks to heaven and he acknowledges with his mouth his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom from generation to generation. So, in verse 36, his sanity is returned and his majesty, the splendor, his kingdom was given back to him, which is really amazing. I mean, oh, I don't know if I want to go there. Like, okay, I shouldn't go there. Uh, my advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom. And even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heaven because all his works are true and his ways are just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Wow, that's amazing. That's really cool. You know, all the Babylonians who were in the kingdom, I mean, do you usually get news about the king and what's going on in the king's life? I mean, you think they heard that, you know, you know, the king's kind of lost it. I mean, you think the message went out? I mean, it's amazing that they were willing to give him the kingdom back, that the nobles and these people were willing to wait and see what happens. I mean, that's like, that's like a long time to wonder, is he going to come out of this? Uh, but 
I mean, you, you have to know that the news spread. And so when he makes this decree and he makes this pronouncement. Now, this is not in Israel. They're not in uh, Jerusalem. They're in, they're in Babylon, right? They're exiles. And they're in this new place. And that, it looks like that kingdom is, is way stronger than, than, than Israel was. And God's, you know, people over there in, in Jerusalem. But here they are. Everybody gets to know. Everybody gets to hear what the real verdict is. God's dominion and his kingdom. And so we're going to come back to that in just a few, minute, uh, a few minutes. And I was just going back to the tree just for a second. You know, like here his whole kingdom was restored to him. And I wonder, like, did it look different? Like what, what looks different from the, the proud king and his kingdom and, and the humble king and his kingdom? I mean, think of the tree. As far as the tree goes, aren't the branches still spreading? And isn't the height still reaching the heavens? Isn't it still a, a, a thriving and flourishing nation? But the difference is what's going on inside the man and how he sees what he has. And he gives God the recognition and praise for he's the one that has the ability to give and take away, to bless, to cause a man to flourish, or cause a man to be a king. So, I would say we're going to move into a time where we're kind of like taking a look at ourselves and what, what can we get from this? I think that we get this message here, I mean, Daniel chapter 4 is, is clearly like, I, didn't, I don't even have to speak because it's very clear. The message is, don't be proud, right? And, or, or you should be humble. You should be humble, right? So let's just dive in a little bit more into pride versus humility. And we have a graphic, I just want to read it with you. You should be humble and here's why. Because humility wins and pride loses. Humility exalts God at others' At the ex- uh, oh, God and others at the expense of self. Philippians 2.3. Whereas pride exalts itself at the expense of God and others. Like 3 John 1.9. Humility gains what it does not seek, whereas pride always loses what it seeks. Humility draws God's favor, like Proverbs 3.34, but pride draws God's opposition. I just want to read James chapter 4, verse 6, and uh, it's on the screen. So go to the James 4.6. But he gives greater grace, therefore he says God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so I say, why should you be humble? Well, the biggest danger is that you might just miss the grace of God. Let's go to the next slide. We're going to actually read this. It says, adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. 
Or do you think it's without reason the scripture says that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? But he gives us greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember Daniel's advice. You know what I, you know what I recommend, King? Stop sinning. Start doing the right thing. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded people. You know that it says God gives more grace, but he resists the proud, the one who chooses to stand fast in his, his way. But God gives us the power to live beyond our basest instincts. We're not wild men who have to live on our natural instincts with hearts and minds like wild beasts. You know, the Bible calls that the old man. The old man has its ways. It knows what it wants. It seeks what it wants. It pursues what it wants until it achieves what it wants. Like Maslow, the psychologist who describes man's ultimate goal of self-actualization. The natural drive of man is for such things. The Bible describes this problem as the pride of life. Where you're so proud of your life and your basest instincts and that you just make it the end goal and you think everybody else should be as you are. The product of, it's a product of valuing what we can gain out of the world to fulfill whatever our human need is at the moment. But the Bible tells us that we are made new. We've been given a new heart, a new identity, a new future, a new purpose, and a new spirit by which we can live as Christ. So what does it mean for us to put on humility? In Colossians, we have the words um, in chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, Men, I would say, we don't think too much about what we wear. We don't think too much about what we wear, for the most part, unless it's game day. Anybody got a 49er shirt on today? I mean, I could go a whole day and not realize what I'm wearing until somebody, until somebody points it out. And they're like, hey, Jeff, you know you got mustard staying around your shirt? And I'm like, oh, well, how'd that get there? Oh, I had a hot dog yesterday. <laughs> You know, but like, so the women, I think they're a little bit more of what they wear. And maybe as men, we need to take, take a note uh, from the women on this because um, he's told us to put on compassion, to put on kindness, to put on humility, gentleness, and patience. Something that you're choosing to put on. 
And if you're going to put it on, you're going to be thinking about it. Can you imagine walking around town wearing this shirt? I mean, I'm kind of wondering what's going to happen if I wear this tomorrow, if I don't spill any mustard on it today. I mean, you guys like, he's wearing a shirt that says humility. Either he's really humble or he's really proud. I don't know. I just think it's kind of interesting. But he tells us, think about this. What are you putting on? How is your life going to be one of humility? That's the one we're talking about today. So I have some ideas, some ideas about how you can put on humility, some practices that you might want to do, because pride is a sneaky thing. It kind of just wells up inside of us and kind of catches us off guard, and we don't realize where we're at. You have to have somebody like Daniel in your life that says, you know, you might want to stop sinning. You might want to start putting other people's needs before your own. But how about this? The practice of, how about refraining from image management? Of trying to manage your image. Manage what people perceive you as. Trying to be so careful to make sure that there's no, nothing you, you don't want known about you. You only want the good, only the smiley, happy pictures make it to Facebook. You know? Only the videos where you actually got the move right get it on TikTok. You know what I mean? And so there's these ways that we, you, I, think about how we want to portray ourselves and be seen. How about we deliberately keep silent about our accomplishments and our talents? That's a way to put on humility. How about we refuse the impulse to name drop? I thought about that one. I'm like, who would I name drop? I'm like, I got that one down. I don't know anybody. But, uh, you know, that, anyway. So, uh, number four, how about backing away from becoming the center of attention? And instead, think about drawing other people out. Avoiding favoritism, honoring others as God does. Choosing downward mobility so that others have more. So here's some, those are just some thoughts about humility, and I'm sure that you have some, but Humility, I want to go back to what is, what is humility really? I just want to give you a, a, a couple glimpses of humility. I have a definition from you, for you. Because humility isn't necessarily just thinking less of yourself. It's, I like the, the it's a, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. You know, that's pretty good, Right? I would say it's this, humility is confident assurance. Humility is confident assurance. I used to think that humility meant I used to, what, maybe not, not have an opinion, feel like I couldn't lead or speak up, I'm going to choose the way of humility, I'm going to, oh, like kind of think of myself in less, lesser terms than somebody else, uh, identify somebody else as Bigger, better, smarter, do it their way. I don't know. We get these ideas, maybe, of, of what humility is. But the Bible gives us a picture of some people who are humble. And they are marked by a very confident assurance. Born of correctly knowing God and understanding themselves. Understanding yourself in light of who God is and your place before him. 
that's what can give you real humility. Think of Moses. Moses, the guy who was concerned about a speech problem when God gave him an assignment. I want you to bring my people out of, out of captivity. And he's like, but I, 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 I can't talk good. And this is where Moses was at first, but God got a hold of his heart. But you get to Numbers 12. You've got to read this passage. Numbers 12, go to it, write it down. You better read it today because here's a man, and it says that Moses was the humblest of men. And, and then you have the story of Aaron and his wife, who they want to be like, hey, we can speak for God too. Yeah, Mary, his sister, named, okay, good, thank you. That was like your little test. Anyways, we're not going to go to it today. But here's a man who knew God, and God comes, and he comes, he's like, you guys, come outside. God calls him outside, and he appears in the pillar of cloud, and he's like, who do you think you are? This is my man, and I speak to him, and he meets me face to face, and he sees my form. You know, Moses humbly, but very confidently, and with the assurance of knowing who God was, was able to lead a nation and speak for God. But the Bible describes them as humble. Paul. Paul thought he knew God's plan for him. I guess you would say Saul at the time. Thought that he knew God's plan for him. He was charging after it. But God shut him down, right? Brought him to his knees and redirected him on the road to Damascus. And through it he learned who God was. And what follows is when you know who God is, then you can confidently, with assurance, move forward knowing who you are and how you fit in his kingdom purposes. I want us to be humble like Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was probably our most pertinent example right now. We've been looking at Daniel. Was Daniel bashful? I don't know, was Daniel extroverted? We get these ideas that a humble person is somebody who's introverted, and, and the extroverted must be the person who's arrogant. It's, n- it's not true at all. Was Daniel's personality a factor? We aren't really told. But was he proud or was he humble? Well, let's look at our definition. Was he confident? Did he have the assurance? Did he know who God was? Did he have... Did he, did he take credit for it, or did he give credit where credit was due? Did he feel the need to include the other people's gods when, when he gives credit? No, because he knows who God is, and he knows who he is and his purpose. So true humility is that confident assurance born out of correctly knowing God and understanding yourself and your place before him. I wonder, how does that fit what you've come to understand about humility? So we've talked about putting on humility and what humility is and isn't just a little bit. But I was just, as, the final thought is this. Like, why is this chapter in the Bible? You know, there's no other chapter like it. There's no other chapter written in the Bible that's written first person by, by a pagan. I mean, this is significant. God 
has this message of a man who brought down to the stump and restores to full capacity who God humbled so low that he was willing to acknowledge that there is a kingdom out there and the kingdom that I thought that I had and that I thought that I was building and that I thought reflected me and who I am and made people think that I was cool was really something that God wanted to use and that God's kingdom trumps it every time. That my little kingdom just falls in the shadow of the greatness of God's kingdom and what God is doing and his power and his authority and the eternal nature and his dominion. And he was willing to humble himself and God says, I resist the proud, but I will lift the humble. I will lift the humble. And so this morning, why is this chapter here in, in the book of Daniel? And, and what, do we, what do we get from it? It's a message of recognize that there is a kingdom at play and that you're in danger of thinking too much of your own kingdom and your own image and your own everything and that we need to come humbly before God. But it's also a message of hope because look at what God can do. Now if you thought that your life is at its end, that God just had to cut you out or cut you off or throw you under, or you don't have a place anymore, and that he can't produce fruit in your life that is eternal and lasts, then you need to hear this message today, Daniel chapter 4. Because look at what God did in Nebuchadnezzar. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray then. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. Your church, we've looked at your word, and Father, we just submit to your spirit, and we ask that you would just penetrate. We ask that you would quicken our hearts, that you would be able to divide between all the facets of how we think and what we've come to understand, and that you would just get to our heart, God. Lord, I pray that we could worship you this morning with a heart of humility and of reverence and awe, recognizing that we have come to you. We've come before you, and I pray that we would respond appropriately to who you are. Allow us to know who we are, Lord, before you. Help us to understand our place. And give us a vision, God, of who you would have us be of how we can be part of your purposes, your kingdom. In your name we pray, amen.